0: My name is Andy Nelms and uh, I am uh, privileged to be the new pastor here at Thrive and want to welcome you to worship. I want to welcome those of you who have um, checked in on uh, on Facebook with us, the Truscotts, uh, the Smiths, the Adams, um, and Ann Hellman and Hope Adams are watching this morning from their backyard with their two pups. Uh, I, I love that. I love that. I want to welcome all of you who are um, Maybe watching on on a, on Twitch stream or, or wherever you might be watching. Maybe you can't comment, but I want to let you know that we know that you are there. I want to welcome you in worship this morning. I want to welcome you to worship this morning, especially if it's your first time. Um, I know that you know doing new things can kind of be strange, and uh, maybe you've had a life event this week that. Um, you know, you thought maybe we need to get back in church or, uh, or maybe you're just checking us out. Whatever the case, I want to welcome you to worship. I am so glad that you are here and so glad we get to share in the Word together. Uh, I am new here. Uh, this is my, my third week to be with you all. I'm so excited to be um, with you all. And, and we've been, um, for the last few weeks, we've been in a particular sermon series that is special uh, for Thrive, simply called Get to Know Me. And uh, the wider congregation of Lover's Land is in a very important conversation down by the Riverside that we'll rejoin next week. Um, Conversation um, about justice and about our nation. And uh, it's a very important conversation. If you haven't yet checked out uh, Pastor Stan or Pastor DD's Dee messages, uh, I encourage you uh, to do that. But for the last few weeks, we've been talking about um, talking about me, talking about some of my favorite passages, and um, talking really about some of the um, the things that I believe are important um, for a church to understand. And so. Uh, this week, if you have your Bible with you, uh, maybe you have it next to you, or maybe it's, you know, in the other room. You might want to go ahead and grab it, or maybe you use your phone or or your tablet. Uh, maybe you use your your app. Whatever the case, we're going to be reading from the Book of Acts, chapter six, this morning. So I encourage you to go ahead, and we'll we'll get there in just a minute. But encourage you to uh, to go ahead and uh, and get there. Uh, this morning, you know, I want to let you know I've been in ministry for about ten years, actually more than ten years now, and. And something I've learned about ministry is this kind of simple fact, and it is, it is this, that ministry is difficult work. <laughs> this is just the case, right? And, and uh, it, it's a simple idea, but but I, I believe it to be wholly true. And, um, and, and maybe you're completely new to church, you're saying, what does that actually mean? Oh, well, I'll tell you in a little bit. But But those of us who have been a part of church for a while, we know that ministry is difficult work. I mean, it killed Jesus, right? I mean, like the simple truth is that, that it's just, it's really difficult so much so that it led to the death of the one that we follow. And Jesus said that whoever does not take up their cross and follow him is not one of their disciples. In other words, if we do not commit to this difficult work of laying down our lives, Jesus said, you're, you're not really, you're not really my disciple. So this ministry is difficult work. And I, and I think we in the church have have tried to make it maybe a little bit more simple, right? We've tried to make it a little bit more easy to digest. We, we've tried to kind of compress it and shrink it down to fit our own conveniences, to try to make it just really fit our own schedule. And we've said, you know, if, like, if I can just make this, you know, this ministry thing, this laying down my life thing, if I can just kind of make it maybe a little bit easier to swallow, then, then maybe it's something that, that maybe others would want to follow or something like that. But, but I don't think that that's the case because Here's the thing, that that we've tried to do ministry, and we've tried to make it easier, and we've tried to not like bother anybody else with this job of ministry, and just tried to say, well, what if I could just do this ministry myself? What if I could just do it on my own? And that's where we've learned this really important truth, that even though ministry is difficult work, it is more difficult alone. Ministry is difficult work, and it's more difficult alone. I've I definitely learned this truth in, in my life and in, in my ministry. Just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, uh, on the, uh, the Myers-Briggs, I am an extrovert, intuitive feeler, judger, or an ENFJ. Um, I, I, on the uh, Enneagram, I'm a seven with an eight wing. Um, all of this means that, that I'm an extrovert, right? I'm an extrovert. I love being around people, and, and that's really good for somebody who likes to stand and talk in front of people, but there's a shadow side to that. Right? There's this kind of, these kind of adverse effects of that, that when I'm in an unhealthy place, um, if I'm not healthy spiritually or emotionally, then, then most of my actions can be geared toward gaining the approval of others, right? Then, then I can do things that, that try to make others like me or make others approve of me. And I definitely experienced this early on in my ministry. I realized that a lot of the things that I was doing was to gain the approval of others, and, and at one particular point in my ministry, I was um, I, I was responsible to lead disciple Bible study. And uh, for those of you who participated, you know the kind of impact that that has. But one particular point, I was leading disciple Bible study, and I was responsible for converting a particular room over for a disciple Bible study, which meant that that I had to make sure that there were enough chairs and enough tables for about 50 people in this room for disciple Bible study. And so on Wednesday, we had the, the lesson about 6:30 that evening. On Wednesdays about three, I would go into this room and and I would start, you know, unloading tables and, and unstacking chairs and doing all of this work by myself. And, and and to be honest, there was a certain satisfaction that I had, right? Maybe you've experienced this, maybe you were gardening or, or doing some kind of large project on your own, that when you like turn around and looked and saw what you had done, that it was empty before you got there and now it was completely set up, there's this kind of satisfaction, this, this kind of chip on your shoulder that you have to feel really good about that thing that you did. And, and I did this for several weeks until finally, finally, the senior pastor uh, came in and was watching me, you know, just sweating in this room and, and, and you know, unfolding these tables and unstacking these chairs and doing all this work myself, and he approached me and he said, who are you engaging in ministry? Who are you engaging in ministry? Well, the answer was no one, other than myself. You see, this work that I was doing was also that somebody might give me praise for doing this entire job myself. And that question, who are you engaging in ministry, really frustrated me because I I wanted some praise for this thing. I wanted some approval for this thing. Right? And I realized that, that a lot of my actions had really just been kind of for the approval of others. I remember back whenever I was a kid, um, I played soccer as a kid. I think I have a picture for it, you, you here. Um, I played soccer as a kid, and, uh, and, and I had a singular purpose in soccer. And it was not to score more goals than anyone else. Um, it, it was not to be the, the best player. My goal in soccer, my objective in soccer, was to make my teammates laugh right? That was my, my, was my singular purpose. If I can make my teammates laugh, th- then I've done my job. And, and whatever that took, I was going to do that thing, which always, which meant that I wasn't always kind of the best player. And this really kind of followed me, this temptation to make others laugh, this temptation to, to have others like me really followed me um, throughout my life. And particularly one particular moment in uh, in college, I told you that my wife and I've dated since really junior high. And so we were dating throughout college. And at one particular point, I was um, in in my then-girlfriend, now-wife's apartment, and, and, uh, and I was playing with this, this suction cup. And, uh, and I thought it'd be funny if I, if I stuck it to my forehead and then walked out into the room uh, as if, like, nothing was wrong, you know? And, and they were like, oh, what's on my, my head? I didn't realize something would happen when you put a suction cup on your forehead. Um, it, it looks like this. Um, it, it created this bruise. This, I, I wanted my wife to laugh for like 30 seconds when I walked out, not for the next three days when I had this bruise on my forehead, you know? Like, and I realized in that moment, who are you engaging in ministry in this time? I realized that in that moment, a lot of what I had been doing was trying to gain the approval and the praise of others. But that's not a good way to lead ministry. It's not a good way to lead ministry because when you do that, you cut other people out of the opportunity to serve and to do the work of ministry. Who are you engaging in ministry? Because here's what I learned while unstacking chairs and tables by myself that ministry is difficult work, but it is better together. It's difficult work, and that's good, it's supposed to be difficult. The way it was made, the thing it does is supposed to be difficult. And friends, we were never meant to do it on our own. That it is difficult work and that is a good thing, but it is better together. Maybe you've realized this. Maybe you've done work at the church by yourself, right? And, and, and this kind of narrative repeats in your head that nobody really appreciates what you're doing and nobody really knows the sacrifices that you are making to do this thing so that when you left the church, after you had done ministry, you had done good work, but by the time you left, you left with a more sour attitude than whenever you ever came into the church ministry is difficult work, but it's better together. You ever served with a friend or maybe even somebody you didn't know. Maybe maybe you served even on a mission trip, right? And, and you created these incredible bonds with each other while you were on that trip, doing that thing, doing good for other people, doing difficult work, but you were doing it with other people and you created these bonds together, right? Maybe maybe you were asked, you know, we have this room of, of, of children, right? There are like 15 children in this room and we need you to go and, and sort that out, you know? And, and, and can you serve in this children's area? And you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. But they said, hey, your friend is serving in there and he or she needs your help. Ministry is difficult work, but it is better together. But many times we try to do this alone, or many times, sometimes, we try to encourage others to do it alone, right? At its worst, it sounds like, hey, pastor, hey, staff member, there's this problem over here, and and I really need you to go do something about it. There are good intentions there. Friends, we should never be doing ministry alone or encourage others to do ministry alone. And this is what the apostles learned in the book of Acts chapter 6. Um, for those of you who don't know, Acts is in the New Testament. It's actually short for the Acts of the Apostles. What did the followers of Jesus do um, after Jesus had died, been resurrected, and ascended into heaven? It's actually the first part of the book of Acts is the ascension. And, and Jesus sending them out in ministry to go and do the thing that Jesus had been talking about now for three years. And, and the book of Acts of the Apostles, if you ever get a chance, you should read it. It's an incredible read about what the apostles um, and what Paul did after Jesus' ascension. And, and one of the things that they did, we read about it in the book of Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We read this, that the Hellenists had complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Well, what happened up before this moment? Well, before this, um, the the apostles were persecuted for preaching in the temple, right? They were were persecuted. In chapter 5, you can read this whole kind of back and forth about how they were persecuted. But what we read is that they were persecuted and they were growing, Right? This movement was rapidly spreading over the then known world that, that many people were converting to what was called the way, um, what we were later called Christianity, that many people were coming to faith. And, and, they, and this early movement, one of the ways that it made its name known was by helping those who could not help themselves. Some of the first orphanages were were Christian, those who cared for for infants that that somebody had neglected or somebody had simply left, that Christians were the ones who cared for those people. That's how they made their name known. And and Christians were the ones who cared for widows. Right at the time, women um, were dependent upon men to provide for them, and there were widows who didn't have men to provide for them, and Christians stepped in, and they cared for those who couldn't care for themselves. This is how Christians had made their name known, and I pray that it's how Christians will be known from now on. But here we see that the Christians are caring for the widows, and we have this dispute between Hellenists and Hebrews. You see, Hellenists were those who simply spoke in Greek, this kind of emerging culture that was taking over the world, and Hebrews were the ones who kind of held on, right? They were the ones who spoke not only in Hebrew, but also in Greek. They were the ones who, they were kind of like the traditional folks, right? Like they were like, hey, let's hold on to this thing because I think it's good. There was this cultural divide happening between the Hellenists and the Hebrews, and the Hellenists start complaining against the Hebrews because the widows, the Hellenist widows, were being neglected of their daily distribution of food. And so the, the, um, the early followers complain against the apostles for this thing happening, saying, hey, these people aren't being fed. Now, in my emotionally unhealthy times, right, in my, in my uh, spiritually unhealthy times when Andy, all he wanted to do was gain the approval of others, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, these widows are not being given their food, I would have immediately jumped in. You know what I mean? Okay, I'll do it. Right? Like like okay, I'll I'll serve them and I I've always wanted to be able to do that thing where you could like, you ever seen those, those waiters or waitresses that can like put like, you know, 20 plates on their arms and like walk out, you know? Like I, I, I would do that, you know? Like I would learn how to serve these widows and I would walk out with all these plates on my arms and I, would, and I would lay them down in front of the widows and then I would wait for the praise that would come, you know, that did you know that Andy served all the Hellenist widows himself? And, and I would be like, yes, I did, you know? Like I, I, I would have done that in my more emotionally unhealthy states, But the apostles didn't do that. The apostles didn't do that. In fact, in verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2, they say this, And the twelve, the the early followers, the ones who were around Jesus, called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Sounds kind of harsh, right? Right? I mean, you might think, well, um, these 12 think really highly of themselves. You know what I mean? Like, like it's not good that you should neglect the word of God to wait on tables. It sounds like, you know, you're kind of talking down to somebody else. But here's what they're really saying. Ministry is difficult work. We get it. Right? The, the 12 are looking around. They're saying, yeah, we know this is This is hard, this is difficult, and it should be. We realize that there are more people than we ourselves concern. We we realize that this is going on. It is difficult work. And so they do this really smart thing, right? In in verses 3 through 4, they say this, Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task. While we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. Yeah, this is, this is difficult. What they, what they said in that time was this. Ministry is difficult work, but it is better together. Apostle said, Who are we engaging in ministry if we don't in, include others in this? If we don't recruit other people to help us in this, then this thing is gonna die with us. That as soon as we leave, these widows aren't gonna be fed. What would we be better, in fact, is if we include other people in it. Not only other people. What they did was they selected from among yourselves. What, what does that mean? The Hellenists came and complained and said, Our widows are not being fed. And the twelve said, Select seven people from among you. you who who see the problem, right? You you are bringing this issue before us. Why don't you select seven people who can do this thing so that we can keep sharing the word of God? Why? Because the Hellenists were uniquely situated to see the problem, right? It was something that only they could see and and something that if it didn't get met, if that need wasn't met, then they were going to be the first ones to notice that if the apostles stepped in and did this thing, they would have never really been in tune with what was going on. Right? They would have maybe just done the bare minimum or just enough so that they could go about and do the other stuff as well. But, but what they said is select from among yourselves seven people who, who know about the problem, who know it intimately, who know the widows that are being fed, who know them by name so that when you go and serve them, you can actually greet them in the name of Christ, that you can smile to them and welcome them, and that they know your name as well, that they watched you, were watching you as you were being raised, as you were growing up, that, that they, you can have this kind of relationship Why don't you do the thing that only you can do? And we will do the thing that only we can do. Friends, this is the way the church works. And so in in verses five through seven, we see who they appointed. And and you're gonna get to hear me stumble through some of these names. And, And if you're ever curious about biblical names, right? If you wanna know the secret to reading biblical names, here's the secret. You ready for it? Confidence. It's all you need, right? Nobody is ever going to correct you if you just say a name confidently. So here we go. What they said pleased the whole community in verse 5. What they said pleased everyone. They said, oh, yeah, of course, that's a great idea. Why don't we select from among ourselves? And so they chose uh, uh, Stephen, who, who will later become the first martyr of the church, who will preach. And he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then listen to what happens in verse 7. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here's what happened. The problem was brought to the apostles. Said, hey, we need somebody to wait on these tables. And they said, we can't wait on tables because we are preaching the word of God. And so they employed more people in ministry to wait on these tables. And what we read later is that the word of God, the thing that they were there to do, spread. And the number of the disciples increased greatly. What, the, what does that mean? That, that people wanted to be a part of it. They said, hey, you're employing these people to, to actually do the work. They're not just sitting around watching other people do it for them. That They're, they're actually engaging and making a difference. I want to be a part of that. Friends, this is the way church works because ministry is difficult, but it is better together. Friends, I want to celebrate the incredible staff that you have here at this church. I have never seen a team like this here. You have an incredible resource. And, and, and I, I would love to go through the list of all the staff to count them, to, to, to outline the things that they do But even that list, friends, is not the number of the ministers of the gospel here at this church. That this church has thousands of ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you are a part of this church. That if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, if you have professed even membership here at this church, you have professed to be a minister of the gospel to wait on tables, to spread the word of God, that that if we say that we are following Jesus, then we are committing to doing the hard work together. Friends, I I, want to celebrate the great thing that has happened, that this church and and Walnut Hill United Methodist Church have decided to, to join in this adoption merger so that now we have a ministry called Walnut Hill Church. And and this is not the only extension ministry. This is not the only other campus that is happening here. That, That Pastor Macy is out at 723, that there are different ministries happening that are extensions of this church. And friends, I want to celebrate that this church does not just have one or two or even three campuses, but thousands of campuses. Because your home is an avenue through which the kingdom of God comes to this earth. Friends, if you hear nothing else today, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this, that today you are officially invited into the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you the radical thing about that, that membership is not a prerequisite right, that there is no thing that you have to do prior to that, that today you are officially invited, if you are within the sound of my voice, if you heard this through a car speaker that's driving by you, I want to let you know that today you are officially invited to the ministry of Jesus Christ to do the work of making disciples for the transformation of the world to love all people into relationship with Jesus Christ. Today you are officially invited into that work. So I invite you to engage in some way to what is happening to bring the kingdom of God here on this earth. What does that mean? Maybe it's inviting you to come and serve on a Tuesday or any time that there is a food ministry happening here at this church. Maybe it's inviting you to collect school supplies for Wesley Rankin Community Center that helps provide education for those in need. Regardless of, of the opportunity, you can, you can see those opportunities on our website at llumc.org. But if you'd like to know maybe a, a different way that you can engage in ministry... I'm going to invite you to practice this. I learned this from this book. I want to recommend it to you. For the last three weeks, I've been recommending books. And and the last book I want to recommend to you is this book called The Art of Neighboring by Jay Pathick and Dave Runyon. And in this book, they invite you to practice something very simple, but also very difficult. To get to know the eight homes, the eight families that live closest to you. Eight families that live closest to you. Here's what we realize, that Jesus said that one of the most important commandments was to love our neighbor as ourselves. but many of us don't know our literal neighbor. So I want to invite you to not only learn your neighbor's names, but to learn something about them, to learn about their hopes and dreams, especially those who are in need of community. Maybe they don't have a church home. Maybe they're new to town. Maybe they moved in the middle of a pandemic. And they are sitting at home this morning, praying and hoping that somebody cares. That they are sitting at home praying and hoping that there is a church. That there is a community of believers that is willing to reach out to them. Friends, I want to celebrate that ministry is difficult work. I want to celebrate that that it's difficult, that, that Jesus gave us a job, and that job is not easy. It's not simple. It's not something we can do one or two hours a week that will actually require all of our lives, all of our energy, all of our effort. Friends, I want to celebrate that Jesus gave us difficult work. And He said that it is far better together. I look forward to doing ministry together with you. Let us pray. God, you are. So good. I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us wherever we are, God, in whatever state of belief we are in. Maybe we are we've prayed for the first time in in a long time. Maybe our marriage is struggling, maybe our, our children are hurting, maybe we're sick. God, I I pray now that your Holy Spirit would come to us in a very real way this morning, that, that your Spirit would unite us, bring us together, so that we can do the difficult work of your ministry, of bringing your kingdom here, of ensuring that the hungry are fed, that the sick are made well, that those who don't know you may find you. God, we pray that you would do it. And we ask that you would use us, your humble servants, Pray it by the power of the Holy Spirit and the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen.